Hey internet, I'm Simon Squibb, your host at the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission is to help anybody out there that's thinking of starting a business do just that. Equally, if you've started a business and are struggling, maybe you need a little bit of inspiration and knowledge. And we hope by interviewing some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and change makers that you'll get the knowledge you need to become the person you want and turn your business into that dream company. I personally have started 17 companies from scratch and have invested in over 65 startups. When I sat down and analyzed how I did it, I discovered a secret. It was all luck. I'm here to tell you, in my opinion, without luck, it ain't gonna work. Each week, I will discuss with my guests this theory and see if luck is a skill as I feel that it is. I hope you enjoy our episode this week. Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. My guest today is Dr. Margaret Calmetta, founder and CTO of BioRegenTech. Hi there, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for giving your time to our audience. I always like to start off by just asking if you could kindly explain a little bit to the audience um, who you are and, and what you're about. Absolutely. In the uh, company, I've developed technology to regrow bone and tissue, and I've put it to the first utility use to regrow bone and tissue in diabetic limbs, and currently we save uh, limbs from being amputated. Wow. Okay, that's uh, an impressive resume right there. How did you get into this world? I started in the oral surgery world. And I developed the technology for people in nursing homes uh, that were uh, having infections that were sometimes fatal in their mouths. And while I was in the nursing home, I met a gentleman who lost all of his limbs to amputation. He was a diabetic. And it was one of those moments where you just, you know, you look yourself uh, in the mirror and you say, can I live with this barbaric medicine? And I have the technology here to help this man, except I have to develop it further. So I took it upon myself um, and self-funded the venture. I left internationally uh, and uh, took me two and a half years, but I developed the technology, transferred my own technology into the advanced wound space uh, and saved 22 limbs um, and uh, closed chronic wounds. Uh, so this um, now I'm bringing back uh, and developed it further uh, to help people all around the world uh, save their limbs, basically. A lot of my listeners and audience members are entrepreneurs or those that wish to be entrepreneurs. I think a lot of the time people don't see you know, the title of doctor as entrepreneurial, but it f- sounds to me, given what you're doing, you are actually applying this very entrepreneurial approach to a medical requirement. I mean, do you feel that's unusual within your discipline or, or is it more common than perhaps most people realize? I think it may be unusual. However, coming from the oral surgery space, we, uh, from that field, are by nature entrepreneurial. In school, we were taught that if we try new things, it's great. If we uh, bring new things to the office, it's, it's wonderful. Whereas medicine, you know, generally follows a path of what's available in the hospital to treat patients with. Uh, 
And so I think I just come from this unique world where I've been inventive for some decades. Do you think in particular it's all, all surgery path that gave you this freedom to experiment? Is it, yeah. is it particularly that area that's, that's more entrepreneurial? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, the entire dentistry world uh, is based on trying new things, on new technology every year, lasers, you know, different things. Yeah. Because the image of, of the medical field, as you highlighted there, sometimes is it's a bit stuck in its way. It does it a certain way that, say, amputate. It feels like that's exactly. the way it's done and uh, that's exactly. the decision made. But you've managed, exactly. managed to leap over then. You've managed to leap over the kind of oral um, surgery route into, let's say, the beginnings of the mainstream doctor world. You've managed to leap into that world. And actually, that, that's fascinating to me. Is this something you planned yeah, out? Or? No, no, didn't plan it at all. Uh, I was ready to go to market with oral surgery uh, products and medical devices. When I met this gentleman who lost his limbs, I started doing research and realized every 22 seconds there's someone losing a limb. That was something I couldn't live with. And so that's why, you know, I also I had that, you know, inner gut feeling that this technology, I can transfer it because I'm already doing it. And I was the, already the only one on the globe closing a surgical site in two days, an oral surgery site, the bone and the tissue. And so therefore I had to take it upon myself. It was almost like a responsibility it was something I really couldn't shy away from, if you will, uh, because how do you sleep at night knowing that you can, but you didn't. And every 22 seconds, someone loses a limb. That's a very powerful message, knowing that you can, but you didn't. I think that could inspire a lot of people to go out there and do things that they should be doing. I like that a lot. Do you, um, I, I always like to get a gauge for the audience of, of the guest and, and I'm interested in, and I feel like I might, I know your answer in a way, but I want to hear it from you. What does success mean to you? How do you measure success personally and professionally? Success means knowing that on your deathbed, you will smile. So that means no regrets. That means no regrets with family no regrets with work, doing the best that you can. You may not always achieve everything on your list, but doing the best that you can at the end of the day, you will smile at success. Have you always had this view of success? Did your career start out with this mindset? Have you all, did you grow up this way? Did your parents, how did you get that awareness of that <laughs> as, as a success measure? Because a lot of people, that, that's not how they would describe success necessarily. Yes, uh, my uncle was a priest, and I spent many summers uh, growing up in the church, running around the church, and uh, my older sister passed away, so there was always like this level of awareness of there's something more than what we're living uh, through here, uh, and so that, you know, very early beginning was reinforced further uh, through uh a course that I actually took that taught how to balance your life, balance work and worship. Those two things have to be in balance uh, and play. Um, and so, you know, bringing it all together, you know, I came up with, with this inner uh, flow of my life that at the end of the day, I have to smile. So I have to do the best, whether it's for my children whether it's for my career, whether it's for, you know, people around me, that's, you know, some, something that you will be proud of. I, 
looking back at your career, I mean, you've you've done quite a few startups, and I think I read five previous startups prior to what you're doing now. And I, I wonder, you know, the journey through the process. Have you always worked for yourself, or or, or has it been, you know, you worked for a few pe- few people, and then you had this experience? How how did it happen for you? I worked for one person after I graduated for about nine months, and I realized that the only thing I'm learning is business protocol. And so I just opened up my own business uh, nine months after graduating, and ever since then, it's been the same. And my, my, my push was always bringing something better to the patient than what's available. And uh, I was uh, eventually in the last uh, three businesses, I was a teaching doctor where I taught other doctors how to bring back uh, into their practice the best that they could do. It's um, teaching to be a doctor. Do you, do you try to teach empathy? Is that part of it? it must, that, that always feels like a piece of being a doctor that's both hard and, and somehow scarce. Um, is it? Is it something you teach? You know, if you can teach such a thing, it would take uh, a lot of time by example. Uh, So by example, people see and then they start behaving similarly if the office is set up in that way uh, where, you know, the assistants and, and, and everyone is acting in that way. So that would be the way the way to teach that. Uh, So, yes, Mm. it can be taught. So you teach it via culture, I guess you're saying, right? Yes, that's that's right. And when you um, went into business for yourself at first, I'm just thinking about my audience and people out there that might be looking to start their own business. What, what was the uh, kind of good and bad? Was there any lessons in the early days that you say, well, you know, I got that wrong or I got that right. People must must know this. Is there any, any insights there you can think of? The insights are to always follow your heart. It's, it's really interesting, and some people may think it's very interesting I say that about business. But what I learned through a writing class is that your unconscious really knows more than your conscious mind. So, for example, if you ask yourself a question or someone asks you a question, you will answer it based on your outer belief. But when you sit down and write about it, it'll be a totally different uh, thing that you you end up writing about. There's so much more on the inside of you, and so what I say is follow your inner uh, gut feeling, uh, and then of course uh, look at other examples and follow the uh, protocols that people have set up regarding those businesses by looking at market research reports and um, and making sure that you hire very qualified people you've got an insight there i've never heard before i really i really like that point about write about it there i think that i want the audience to pick up on that it's interesting mm-hmm. I can, i've just written a book myself so i can relate to what you've just said there. i think before i'd written a book i might make a statement about what it is to be an entrepreneur and then when i've written it down it's much deeper and you yes it's it's interesting what you just said there is really interesting i think it's really true Mm -hmm. and and i think when you're saying follow your heart i mean the translation probably into startup world is follow your gut right but interestingly enough there so yes no sorry you you were saying really as well (laughs) follow your subconscious right you mean you're basically saying follow your heart follow your subconscious follow your gut yes And, and the latest research actually shows that the decision making process happens first in the heart, then goes to your brain. So 
that's really very interesting research. It's mm. uh, just, uh, you know, 10 years old and it won't make it to the mainstream for another 30 probably. Um, but there is truth to that. Your organs actually have memory cells. Well, you're hearing it first here, folks, 30 years ahead of time. And um, I, <laughs> I think everybody who's ever listened or ever anyone who's ever been in love will tell you that's absolutely true, I think. You know, we, uh, we make decisions with our heart and everything else follows. I know that's true for me as someone that loves their wife very much. I think, uh, you know, I'd make decisions every day based on my heart. So I, I think that research is absolutely true. We'll wait for it to come out 30 years from now and we'll credit <laughs> it to you. That's really interesting. And so, it's already out there, by oh, the way. It? Oh, is it yes, really? Yes, so yes, yes. They can actually prove that you make a decision in your heart first and then it transfers to your brain. I wonder how they prove yes. that. A chemical yes. release or something, isn't it? Sensors uh, are being used, and if you, I, I, there is an organization that is uh, pioneering this research. It's called HeartMath. HeartMath. Okay. Wow. I feel like I want to put a link to that. HeartMath. Okay. Fantastic. Out of interest, do you think entrepreneurs are born or bred? Well, I think it may be a little bit of both. Um, you know, how does a personality form? How do you get a driver personality versus an amiable personality? Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of both. If you're first born, then you are naturally leading in your family. And you just grow up this way. Uh, and also, what was very interesting, I took my daughter to a seminar, a mother-daughter seminar, uh, some time ago in San Jose, California. And um, it was for entrepreneurs. And they said, in this room, who is an immigrant or a child of an immigrant? And nearly everyone raised their hand. And so what was really interesting to me is that the innovation actually happens from people that are not from the system um, in the United States. That was very, very interesting. Mm. Again, I think that that rings true of my experience. I lived in Hong Kong for 20 years. And I think in part, you know, I went there, I could reinvent myself. I could be whoever I wanted to be. I didn't um, have um, the social structure that would make me be judged, for example, for making, mm -hmm. uh, taking a chance on a business and failing. Whereas maybe if you in your hometown, you grow up and people say, oh, you did a business and it failed. It's much harder. Right. So the, the immigrant thing is really, really interesting, too. Yeah. And so um, mm -hmm. where, 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 where were you born? Where was your family? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Poland. And my parents brought me from Poland to the U.S. in 1976. Oh, how old were so you? I was about, I was nine. Nine, okay. Well, I feel like I'm accidentally asking your age there, but uh, people can work that out on <laughs> a calculator okay. on their own. But I, I, was right. I was born in 1974, so I was two when, ah, you, uh, you, when you moved to Poland. But do you remember life in Poland before that? Do you have a... Oh, my gosh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. How far back do you remember? Because you're nine when you moved, right? I mean, in theory, is two or three yes. conscious years there. But. Oh, boy. I remember when my brother was born. I was about five. I remember some events prior to that even. Uh, so, you know, I, I remember a good childhood where I had a lot of freedom. I rode. I was maybe, you know, a little bit too much of a driver when I was a child because I took it upon myself at five and six to take the trains by myself, wow. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but uh, on that system, you could, uh, on that honor system of traveling uh, through Europe with how that works with the tickets. Well, anyway, so I did that when I was, when I was young, so it felt very free. 
I could venture. Were you were the oldest in your family? Or did you have a big? Yes. So that's where the leadership mm-hmm. point you've learned from experience. You were born into the leadership role, as it were, as, as the oldest. Yeah. You know, it seems that yes, because I remember holding my brother by the hand, taking care of him, and almost pretending like I was his, his mom. You know, when mm. he was young, uh, I was only five when he was born. So, you know, best doll you can have. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because again, I have an older brother, and that's true. He, you know, he was the oldest, and there was a leadership element to him. Interestingly enough, back to your earlier point about you know learning by culture. I think I also became a leader because he was a leader. In a strange way, uh, yeah. so um, yeah, yeah. There's some some something really interesting around that. Do you um? So do do you think that um people can be taught to be entrepreneurs? That's your your conclusion. Yes, I think so. I think that also during my journey, um, by being in an incubation environment at Matter in Chicago, uh, being surrounded by by leaders has also had an effect on me in the way that I go about business. And so I absolutely think it can be learned. Do, do, did, think, you, did you feel like you were an entrepreneur when, you know, when you're training to be a doctor? Again, I mean, did you see that as an entrepreneurial path or, or not really at the time? Uh, not really at the time, although the training itself was to be independent. And here you go. You have the basics and go ahead and suture, that kind of thing. So you had to be on your feet right away. Mm. Um, so, um, so I think, you know, that helped. Absolutely. It helped me because of the uh, I, uh, nature of being fo- thrust into the environment and performing. I think when I look back at your history, um, you know, you had a, a business called Gentle Care, right? was Right. I'm just looking at the history. At what point does this business become, I think it says you sold it, but when does it become a business that you want to sell or was it a a reactive, someone wanted to buy it or did you realize you wanted to do something else? How did the the evolution play out? So after a certain amount of years of, of treatment, I realized that I was innovating. I wanted something better for the patients. I was always bringing something better from a conference or from uh, an article that would put me on a journey to visit another surgeon to get product and see how, you know, they're doing things. And I realized that my role really, my my passion then became what's best for the patient, um, which required a lot of time outside of the office. So that put me on the transition uh, to then open up the next offices where my time could be spent on innovation and um, was spent on teaching the other doctors. And that that business, um, was it just a natural progression then? You didn't suddenly decide it. It was like you, you freed yourself up. Because I'm thinking about my listeners. Some people have businesses today and they want to evolve. So I'm always trying to extract insight from people that have done it, like you. You've moved from one business yeah. to the next. Um, so I'm just trying to see if there's something there that will be useful for people, how, what the process was for you. Was it an instant decision or was it an overtime play? It was a little bit of both. Uh, you know, over time you get the different needs and, and, and the different um, 
you know, requirements of, of your own self, of your own growth. Uh, and then it becomes a point of decision making. You either decide now or in two years or in three years, but you have to decide. And then there's a little bit of, you know, something uh, in the mix like the uh, same when you grow a family. When is the best time to have a child? Uh, you can never decide. So just do it now. <laughs> Uh, and so that was kind of the process. Okay, we have to just decide when it's going to be. And, you know, uh, there's never the best time. So when you brought your, I guess, your, your, I think I was reading your, your um, 25-month international chronic wound project, um, I guess, Bioregen, Biogen Tech. Sorry, I'm, no, I'm not pronouncing that 100% right. Bioregen Tech. And successfully, you successfully beta tested it. So, for, for my audience, what, what, what's involved if you want to bring a, a, a piece of technology or, or, or business like this to, to the world? Is it a very long, drawn out process, or is it just a question of, of applying it? It's a drawn out process. If I had spent time in the United States, it may have taken more than 10 years. And because I took the project internationally, I was able to uh, work with patients uh, directly um, and transfer my own technology in two and a half years. It's a very drawn out process because after you do the transfer, and for example, after now we've saved the limbs, um, to bring this technology to one country or globally is, is really a lot of work because you have to scale it. You have to make sure that you are with the right um, manufacturers that could make enough of this product. Um, and so, you know, it becomes a decision. Do I just spend time in one area and I don't have to help as many people or do I, you know, go, go big? You have to make that decision. And for me, making that decision is difficult because people are losing their limbs. So, Every 22 seconds, someone loses a limb. It's really amazing. Uh, so I decided to go as big as I can in a, a short amount of time as possible, which took me on that journey to go internationally to transfer. Um, so it's, it's, you know, you get that 1% inspiration, but most of it is 99% perspiration. And so just so I understand, I, I just kind of blows my mind what you're doing. You, you, you basically, people would normally have to have their limb amputated, but your uh, product allows people to uh, rejuvenate their limb. Is that basically the gist of it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we are regrowing bone, uh, cartilage, connective tissue, um, dermis, epidermis, vasculature. So a large... so. The way to see an open non-healing wound on a diabetic or elderly patient is the before a wound even opens up, the leg, if you were to visualize it with a, a, a device that could let you see everything 3D inside the leg, it would look instead of like ham, I'll use these basic words, instead of looking like ham, the leg starts looking like Swiss cheese. The Swiss cheese holes get bigger and bigger on a diabetic patient uh, or an elderly, elderly individual. And then eventually the hole gets as big uh, to open up 
the wound. And as you can imagine, a wound will not close when it's surrounded by Swiss cheese tissue. And so what I've developed is a way to first uh, regrow that surrounding tissue so that's healthy and strong. And then from that point, we'll close the wound by regrowing, excuse me, by growing tissue. Um, and we, we are eliminating grafts. How did you discover this? Hard work, 99% perspiration. Uh, when I went internationally to transfer this technology, little did I know that the majority of the problem is circulation in these individuals to this degree. Um, and so over two and a half years, what I had to do is treat the surrounding tissue, the circulation, reestablish the circulation. And after that, then begin closing the wound. So it was a journey in which I developed medical devices and substrates to work together to achieve that goal. It always feels to me, I mean, I, I live presently in London and they have the NHS service here and there's a heavy reliance on the NHS innovating. And of course, we all know it's quite hard for these institutions to innovate. How, how have you done it? I mean, you mentioned being international. Does that take you out of the US jurisdiction? How, how do you, what's the best way to innovate? Well, so, for example, right now, I'm also working at another solution uh, in which the U.S. government uh, is uh, looking to help. So we are in that process. Uh, but this particular solution, um, I had the resources on my own to spend two and a half years to develop this technology. And so I use my own resources to do that. And that, you know, so this was a very unusual path. Most paths actually go through some type of funding, some type of uh, government funding. For example, uh, if someone is raising funds to prove uh, a therapeutic from a Petri dish to an animal model, they typically raise $10 million dollars because it takes $10 million worth of laboratory studies uh, to prove this in an animal model. Now, we know very well that animal models don't work in humans um, very infrequently. A small percentage do. And so, you know, it's like a gamble that happens. So from an animal model to a human model, the company may be funded $20 million more. And the amount of years that's spent doing that uh, can be five, six, seven, depending, you know, what they are developing. And so having this knowledge and, and seeing, you know, that this is my own technology that I'm transferring because no one else had this technology to begin with. This technology I developed in oral surgery and I wasn't out at market yet. I wasn't teaching it yet. And so having that knowledge that it's not out there yet put a lot of pressure on me morally to actually, you know, transfer it on my own. And so I use my own resources to do that. I've not heard of that before. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a big investment, right? I mean, there's a time alone. 
time alone, yeah. exactly, exactly. It's a it's a big investment, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I guess you're you're personifying uh, what I think you know every entrepreneur should should follow, which is a very strong purpose. I can sense in you it's what driving you is 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 saving those those people's limbs and 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 allowing them to have semi-normal lives right that's that's absolutely driving you which is um, admirable and impressive and and so two and a half years of 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 investment and then how again i i just i find the whole process fascinating so how, how does it turn into a a sustainable thing what 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 has to happen is it it gets accepted by the medical system or is it clients will pay for the service how how does it become uh, sustainable for you Okay, so the medical device, I finalize it into a final form so that it is uh, passed through all of the tests that it needs to be passed, uh, meaning electrically, uh, making sure that it's safe to use, and then we go for a 510K clearance or uh, a European CE mark or what other regulatory clearance there is in uh, countries, um, then we advertise the device. And as far as the substrate is concerned, we are able to allow the doctors to dispense it uh, with a with a prescription uh, to the patients. And so um, now during COVID times, we've developed home wound kits. We've totally pivoted uh, because patients are our population is diabetic and elderly. Those are the very patients that are passing away from COVID at high risk. And so we have pivoted and made home uh, wound kits in which the medic can come or the nurse can come and instruct the patient use, uh, how to use this product. Um, and additionally, this eliminates the patient's Uh, need to go to the hospital three times a week because uh, this type of care requires three times a week visits to a center where, you know, there are a lot of COVID patients now. So we've totally pivoted and um, are focusing on telemedicine. I feel like maybe it's not because I'm not in the space, but I feel like I've never heard of this before. And yet I hear recently a story about a patient that got COVID and then because it affects um, all parts of the body and in people in different ways there was one particular high profile person who had to have their leg amputated right because of covid right, right. and, and right. I, feel, I feel like um you know if how how would people find how do people find out about you if someone says if it's every 22 seconds someone's losing a limb and they don't know about you there's a chance that they're going to get their limb removed and there could have been a way to save it right yes yes and so we are bioregentech.com. Um, I'm going to put the link could, in the in the podcast. Don't don't worry about that. I think people need that to know would be about terrific. This. People can write to us, um, and we will tell them when we will be at market, and we will be at market very very soon. Additionally, we are able to help the people that have the swollen legs and the neuropathy about to get an open wound or simply swelling all the time when they're diabetics. And so we're able to help people prophylactically uh, before the wound even opens up. A lot of people suffer for years before a wound even opens up. Wow, so meaningful what you're doing. And uh, I, I thank you on behalf of that community for, for doing thank this. Thank you. Do you, um, just stepping back a moment, I mean, do you, do you feel, I mean, I, 
the part of my theme in the podcast um, is about this concept of luck. And some people are lucky and some people are unlucky, I guess. You could argue that, of course, um, people that are afflicted with these problems are, have had an unlucky moment. But maybe they're lucky that someone like you is coming along and trying to help solve it. But what, what's, what's your take on luck, both in business and in life? Okay, well, there's an interesting story that comes to mind. Um, during, uh, during uh, you know, harvest, or excuse me, during time when farmers cut their crop, one of the farmer's sons breaks their leg. The next farmer runs over the next door neighbor and says, oh, my God, that is so unlucky. And the farmer says, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. A week later... A war breaks out. They take all the young men into uh, the army. And the next door neighbor runs over and says, oh, my God, you're so lucky. And the same thing. The farmer says, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And I view it really the same way. No matter where you are in life, you make certain decisions and you don't know the outcome, you don't know what the world is going to be like tomorrow. But the best thing that you can do is move forward from a very centered fashion and do what essentially is in your DNA. Try to, try to uh, go with that gut, you know, what is right for you. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. You think, you know, my translation of I've heard that type of story before and what I like about it is kind of perspective, isn't it? It's a matter of perspective. Yeah. And only time right. will give you that perspective. So right. sometimes making a judgment call that it was good luck or bad luck at that moment isn't necessarily uh, the truth, right? Because Exactly. What, you know, That's exactly right. Yeah. And so, I mean, do do you feel like I mean, you're clearly very enlightened and and very aware, which which is an amazing thing. But have there been moments in your life you look back and say, "Well, I was, I was unlucky." I mean, for example, why why did your family leave Poland? What, what what was the reason for leaving? Well, that's a good question. So, you know, being in 1976, Poland was a communist country, and um. There was no freedom. My father was uh, tailed. Um, and, you know, even a KGB agent came over to our house one day. My father actually had to flee to make sure that we were all safe. So do I see that as luck or not luck? It's maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Because, because we left... And at that time, I was thinking, you know, it's a negative thing to be away from my family and my friends. But now I'm thinking what a gift that was because that gave me such a future um, that I wouldn't have had otherwise under a communist rule. Um, so, mm. e Equally, you could argue that you, know, be, you born in, in, into a country under communist rule gave you a perspective to appreciate the freedoms you've maybe got today, right? Right, a lot I of ways so. people don't, you know. And, and so, yeah, it's very, yeah. very interesting. Yeah, 
I mean, do you do you feel like your early years education has affected you in a major way? How do, how do you feel about education generally? I mean, I, I actually have a personal stance on it. I'm always worried about university education becoming so mainstream, people get into debt. It doesn't necessarily um, fulfill their needs long term. I think if you're becoming a doctor, it feels like you, you know education's vital. But but what do you, what's your view on education for you for your children, for example? How do you how do you perceive education now? So I would educate my children somewhere where they could make a lot of their own decisions. Something that fosters decision making, playfulness, you know, going into the woods, chasing each other. That is so important growing up because you learn these skills of independence, of dealing with other people. If you're very, very structured, you end up losing that freedom of thought. We are very much, you can say we have software. Our software in our brain can be written on, onto, and we essentially can raise children that don't think outside boxes, that don't think for themselves. They just follow, and that's very dangerous. Could argue, um, you know, the non-all uh, med- medical field has gone that way a little bit, right? Like you're saying, here are the rules, follow them, so that you know could, yes. could stifle innovation in the medical field, for example, right? Yes, it can stifle innovation, and also it can bring on a government that would be able to, you know, get <laughs> do whatever they want. Mm. Interesting. Uh, well, I, I feel like I could talk to you forever and uh, we only have you for a short time and I want to thank you again for giving time to the audience. I always like to end on what could be a light-hearted question. It might not be, but if you went back to your younger self and gave some advice, what would it be? It would be, at 10 years old, whatever was my heart and whatever I was uh, planning to do with my life, stick with it. Stay on that journey. Don't listen to adults that say this or that. Or, yes, everything is within reason, but stick with your heart because eventually adults return to what was originally there. They spend a lifetime of figuring out who they really are. And guess what? Who they really are is their inner self, that young person deep down inside that was there at 10. Mm. I love I love your theme here, which is that kind of inner inner review. I guess that inner inner knowing, which is quite powerful, kind of coming from the heart piece. Um, well, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you. I absolutely will put the links to what you're doing down below, and if people want to support, contribute, uh, say hello. Um, I'm sure they will. I just want to sum up a few things that I've taken away from today's chat. I like this concept of no regrets, which you mentioned earlier as a kind of a measure for success. I think that's really important. Totally agree. Um, if you know you can, you must kind of idea, which is what the mantra I feel like you're following. You could Sounds like you could have easily sat back and had a comfortable life, but you uh, you pushed yourself to do something meaningful. And I think people could be inspired and learn from that. I, I love this follow your heart piece. I think so often people try to rule with their head 
Um, mm-hmm. If they're lucky, they might tune into their gut, but they, they they tend to almost try to push back on the heart feeling, which I think um, is, you know, to your point, is really quite a, an important thing to listen to um, and let it go through to the brain and make the decision from that. It's really powerful. I, I do like the whole point you mentioned briefly as well, around 99% hard work. Even when you've got a brilliant idea, an important idea like you have, it's still 99% work to get there. So a brilliant idea won't reduce that. At that number right and so i think you know you saying it's 99 percent hard work i think you know it's important for people to pick up on that because it is an important idea it's a it's a very needed thing uh, especially for those people every 22 seconds i can't think of anything more important for them probably but it's still 99 percent mm-hmm. hard work to get there there's no shortcut and i think that's important i like your theory around well not theory i, I guess philosophy around education is about letting um, le- letting people learn themselves and make their own decisions i think that that's really interesting and someone with a three-year-old i'm I'm desperate to find education that lets him be himself and lets him make his own mm. decisions he's not told to sit here mm-hmm. and now and then right. do this now and do that now but you know he learns to educate himself i think and make his own decisions which mm-hmm. i think is really really good i i think um yeah i mean basically I've, i i like the write it down piece too i think a lot of people forget to do that if they've got an opinion or an idea sometimes they might talk about it but just write it down i think creates an interesting nuance to to an idea so another bit of uh, fantastic insight and advice from you so thank you so much for sharing it all i really appreciate it thank you on behalf of my audience thank you so much thank you so much for having me i hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the good luck club i want to say thank you for tuning in i know you have plenty of podcasts you could be listening to but you've taken the time out to listen to us and on behalf of myself and my guest i'm extremely grateful if you liked what you heard today please feel free to share this podcast you can just click the button on any one of the 20 channels we're on it would mean the world to us if you shared these insights and we'd be um, overwhelmed with the um, comment or, or hello that you could give us to let us know you're listening and you found it useful So on behalf of my guest today and myself, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.